This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the, before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning, and we do humble ourselves to sit under the authority of your holy word. Lord, we recognize that the scriptures that we have in our Bibles were spoken by you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, they're perfect. They're completely applicable for today as they were when they were written. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that preserves it for us. And Lord, as we come before you, I just ask that you would guide this teaching today. I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide my words. I ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to receive them. And that, Lord, you would show each one of us how to live them out in our lives. So, Lord, we come before you. We want to glorify you in this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we are in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, in, and we've reached a point called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching by Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. The Gospel of Matthew records it in its entirety. The other Gospels have pieces of it, uh, but in the Gospel of Matthew, it spans from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. And so we've been learning from this teaching of Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, we've learned that this teaching, while there were many crowds that followed Jesus, we learned that this teaching is specifically for his disciples or his followers. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says that, you know, with the crowds around that the disciples came to him. And it's a reminder to us that a discipler is somebody who's followed Jesus. They have followed that pattern that we see preceding this in chapter 4, 17, that, that someone who has repented or turned away from their sin and has followed, chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus. And, and because of that, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, experiences what we've been talking about, the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God in their lives, both now and the promise to do so in eternity in heaven with him. So we've seen that, that's our audience here uh, it, for the Sermon on the Mount. It, Jesus continues in an introductory manner, and, and, it, and we see in our Bibles this section called the Beatitudes, and that word Beatitude simply means blessing. And if you look at the verses that follow, there's, there's nine 
qualities that begin with blessed are those. And, and we're, we remember, though, that this blessing that is described is, a, is not a blessing of material things, not, not a blessing of wealth, or not a blessing of all the successes in life, but it's really, it's a satisfaction of your soul that produces joy from experiencing the kingdom of the Lord. And that's something that's true as those character qualities and the Beatitudes are lived out in the life of a genuine follower of Jesus. And then after that, we saw that, that these character qualities, as they're lived out, it really rolls into a purpose for us. And Jesus uses an illustration to communicate that purpose. And he says that you are salt and you are light. And we talked about that purpose, that for us, in experiencing the kingdom of God and experiencing the character of Jesus in us, that our purpose is to represent Jesus and represent his glory to the world around us as salt and light. And then last week, we came to this point where, where Jesus is, is, is shifting. And last week's sermon was really an introduction to what we see coming this week and the weeks ahead. It's an introduction to Jesus's teaching on some very specific topics. And, and that introduction to these topics Jesus says of himself something very important. He talks about the law. And last week we mentioned that the law that he's referring to is the entirety of the Old Testament, the entire thing. And Jesus says that I fulfill that. I fulfill that completely. And, and he is saying that to set up this teaching in, for a very important reason. Because the teachings that follow hinge upon this understanding that he completely fulfills the law. The law isn't going away. He completely fulfills it. And so Jesus uses that to set up this teaching to, to talk about anger. You can see the topic headings if you scan down in your Bible. Anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemy. So that's kind of a projection of where we're going. And, and I today am going to hit the first one of, of talking about anger. But before I do, there, there's an important thing for you to see, a, a, cru a critical understanding of, of how Jesus kind of sets up this teaching from the previous verses that we saw last week in 17 through 20. And, and to consolidate it, what it is, is it's a reminder about righteousness. It's a reminder about righteousness is what it is. And so we, we, we learn about the law last week that there's lots of laws in the Old Testament. And in general, you can break them up into kind of three categories of laws. There are laws of right and wrong, right? There's laws of right and wrong. There's laws for God's people, Israel, on how to identify themselves as God's people. That's the second category. And then the third category of laws is how to be forgiven, right? The sacrifices, the priests, the tabernacle, the temple. That, 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 those are like three categories of, of the laws in the Old Testament. And when Jesus says that I fulfill all of it, he fulfills all of it. And Todd's gonna come back next week and talk a little bit more about that in detail. But the part that you need to know to go into the teaching today about anger and about all of these other teachings that are to follow is this aspect of that Jesus fulfills the right and wrong. He fulfills that moral law. He fulfills the right way to live. Jesus fulfills all righteousness. He fulfills all righteousness. And he claimed that. In Luke chapter 24, 44 through 45, is Jesus's self-expression of fulfilling the entire law after he rose from the dead. It says that, he says this, he says, 
It says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's referring to what he just said in the Sermon on the Mount. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, would you, under, will you help us understand your scriptures? Open up our minds today as you did to them back then. So this claim of Jesus fulfilling the law, specifically now looking at this moral law, fulfilling all righteousness is what we need to keep in our minds as we go in to these teachings on anger, lust, divorce, oaths, and so on. Jesus claims to fulfill it completely. He fulfills it completely. He is the fullest expression of God's standard of righteousness. Now, the reason that's important because the religious leaders at that time, they didn't really quite live out that standard of righteousness. Their standard of righteousness was, had slipped into what we would call religious tradition. They, they would do external things and those things may have started out with good intention. They may have started out good but then they slowly deteriorate to where the human heart is disengaged. But Jesus is making it clear in this teaching as he goes into these items, he's making it very clear that the standard was never religious tradition. The standard was always complete and full righteousness. Leviticus chapter 19 too shows that that was the standard communicated to God's people from the very beginning. Leviticus 19 too says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Because of the religious leaders and the traditions they put in place, the understanding of what it took to have a relationship with God, with a holy God, had been watered down. The re religious tradition, although it had good intent, the human heart deteriorates to a place of becoming disconnected to it. We see that. Jeremiah the prophet says that. In Jeremiah 17 verse 9, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So in all of these teachings on these topics of anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving enemies, on all of these things, Jesus is clarifying He's clarifying the expectation of right behavior that was communicated from God at the very beginning. He's making that abundantly clear because the religious leaders at that time were not living that out. You can see this clearly in two verses that are like bookends on the front end and on the back end of this entire series of teaching of these topics. Matthew 5:20. Look at what he says before he goes into the teachings, the one today, Matthew 5, 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, exceeds all of their meticulous religious tradition, you will what? Never enter the kingdom of heaven. The standard is not tradition. It's not external activities. The standard is perfection. And you're like, really? Is it really perfection? Look what Jesus says. Look at the second one, Matthew 5, 48. After he completes the series of teaching, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So what you are about to see, not just in the teaching about anger today, 
But in all of these teachings is Jesus contrasting the watered down righteousness that was being lived out by the religious leaders with the pure righteousness that was and still is the expectation of the Lord on our lives. You'll see that pattern in every single one of the teachings. And this is the way you see it. You'll see how it sticks out. You'll see it up on the screen. Jesus begins the teaching on each one of these sections. He says, you have heard that it was said. And then he'll speak what was really being lived out at the time by the religious leaders. And then he follows that with, but I say to you, every single one of these teachings has that pattern. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. He says basically what they're living out and then he expands it to remind them of what God's standard truly is. So with setting that up, I wanna pause right here and remind you of a very important truth that when Jesus says, but I say to you, he's saying that to all of us. We are all held to that standard of purpose perfect righteousness. And if you're in this room today and you can't meet that standard, which is pretty much every single one of us, then Jesus says you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. However, this is the good news. This is what the gospel is all about. The principle that we need to remember about righteousness before we get into this is that without the righteousness of Jesus in our lives, we cannot experience God now or in eternity to be in the presence of his holiness. We ourselves need to be holy and we can't do that without Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. That is the only way that we can meet these standards that he teaches us in the scriptures ahead. So it's important for you. It's first point of application right off the bat. Is your relationship with God based on trusting in the righteousness that comes from religious tradition, outward things that you do? Is your heart engaged with him? Or do you just do the stuff and call it good and your heart really doesn't know him? Or is your relationship with God based on the pure righteousness that only comes through trusting and surrendering to him? That's important to think about. That has eternal significance. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him can you be made right and brought to God. That's huge. Where are you with respect to that today? You have to think about that before we continue. So with that set up, we move on and look at what is, what is not just Jesus' teaching on anger, but I brought in some other scripture references along the way through this to help us frame out an understanding of what scripture says about anger. And as, as we look at Jesus' teaching on anger, we need to remember an important concept about anger itself that we see in scripture is this, is that anger is an emotion. It's an emotion. It's how we respond to it is what makes it sinful. How we respond to anger is what makes it sinful. Paul makes this clear in Ephesians chapter 4, 26. 
Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Scripture tells us there are things that it is okay to be rightly angry about. This is called righteous anger. And in, in putting it in, I was trying to put it in the best terms I could. It's getting mad about the things that make God mad and not acting in sin when we express it. Getting mad about the things that God gets mad at. However, we're human. We're not holy like him. We need to watch out and not act in sin when we express it. We see throughout scripture that God expresses righteous anger. When, when people disobey him and rebel against him, you see that his anger is aroused. His wrath is stirred. We see that in the life of Jesus as well, right? When we see Jesus go to the, the temple in Jerusalem and he, he goes into the courts and there's this mass corruption going on. There's people selling animals for sacrifices and they're, they're, they're raising the prices. They're making huge profits on it. You got money changers, swindling people. And Jesus is like, this is my father's house. This is a house of prayer. How dare you? you and he drives them out. That is righteous anger. And we too, as followers of Christ, we too can express righteous anger. When we see God's word and his character compromised in the community around us, it is okay to have righteous anger. When we see hypocrisy that, that causes the church to, to express and, and the, the name of Christ and to express the Lord in, in a way that shows hypocrisy, when we see that, not only in the church, but in our lives, it's okay to be righteously angry about that. When we see people who are oppressed and taken advantage of, when we see the weak exploited, these are all things that the Lord gets angry about. This is an example of righteous anger. But again, the warning is there. Paul warns us. He says, if, if you think you're experiencing righteous, righteous anger, you gotta be careful. Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't just go out and act on it. You need to take that to the Lord. You need the Holy Spirit to filter that and to confirm in your heart that yes, this is of the Lord. And how do I respond? How do I respond? In youth group, we've been memorizing scripture and one of the ones that sticks out in, in, in applying this is Psalm 139, 23 through 24, where David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Is this righteous anger, Lord, or is this just my flesh? Am I just annoyed? Are my actions on it something that are pleasing to you? Is there sin in them? We need to ask him that. The scripture tells us sin is crouching at the door. The devil is a lion ready to pounce. He's looking for that opportunity. Even in our righteous anger, we have a high probability to respond to it sinfully. We need to take it to the Lord. So that sets us up to look at Jesus' teaching on, the, on anger. You're like, oh my goodness, now we're just getting to the scripture you read? Yes, we are. So Jesus' teaching on anger. Obviously, Jesus' teaching on anger is not addressing righteous anger. It's addressing how we sinfully respond when we hurt or offend one another. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about how we sinfully respond when we hurt or offend one another. And as I go through this, it's gonna seem like a lot, 
but Jesus is to the point, so I'll be to the point too. So as we go through this, he, ex- he uses some words to show the depth of how we struggle with anger. And I think we can all relate to these words that he uses, but it shows the grip and the depth that anger can have on our lives. Next, Jesus knows we're gonna struggle with this. And so he gives us the best practice. You get those at work, right? Somebody comes in with an audit team and you get a list of best practices that you gotta carry out. Jesus is awesome. He gives us a best practice for how to deal with anger. And then finally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share three principles that help us really try to live this out with some, so a few verses. And so that's where we're going with Jesus's teaching. So the depth of our struggle with anger. Let me go back and read Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 22. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So the ways the religious leaders lived it was, was kind of like the perspective of many people who don't know the Lord today. You know, I'll illustrate this way. When I was, when I didn't know Christ, my sophomore year in college, I, I didn't know Jesus. I thought I was pretty good. And I met with somebody who shared the gospel with me. And, and he asked me, his name was Brian. And Brian said, Steve, you know, if you had died and you were standing before God and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven, to be in my holiness and my glory and this perfect place. He said, Steve, what would you say? And I said, well, you know, I know I haven't lived out all the ways of the Bible and the way it teaches perfectly, but you know what I'm going to say next? I haven't killed anybody. I know I haven't done that. So I, I must be pretty good. I didn't understand God's expectation was perfect righteousness. And Jesus fulfills that. God's expectation is perfect righteousness. And this is where Jesus is going. He said, it's not good enough that you just haven't killed somebody. He goes, let me expand it for you a little bit. And that's what he does in his teaching. Jesus says, no, but I tell you, it's not just someone who commits the act of murder that is judged and faces punishment. You are accountable for all the unseen things, even if you don't commit the act. He breaks it down going into some words now. The first one he uses is the word anger. And each of these words bears the full weight of punishment that someone who murders deserves. Matthew 5, 22. He says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Judgment is the same word that's used that he just said in the teaching about somebody who commits the act. Anger, that word there, it describes a selfish emotional response to someone who has wronged or hurt us. It has some word pictures that go along with it. Think of a crock pot. What does a crock pot do? It simmers and it cooks things slowly. That's what this anger is being described as. It's a brooding or a simmering of animosity that is not allowed to die. It's synonymous with three things, holding a grudge, ongoing resentment, and withholding forgiveness. 
Jesus is saying, according to my standards, if you get angry in this way, if any of these statements characterize how you're feeling about something or somebody, then you're liable to that judgment as well. That word judgment is referring to, that judgment word that's used there is referring to a council of 23 people that would basically convict and pass punishment. It was before the Jews were taken over by the Romans and they could do that. So that's, he's saying it's the same thing. You go to that same conviction and punishment, the same judgment. But he doesn't stop there. He has some more words for us as well. Jesus doesn't stop there. He knows in our flesh that it just doesn't stay there. That anger goes deeper for us. It leads to more intense thoughts and more intense action. He goes on, Matthew 5, 22. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. He's now upping the intensity of the offense. It's hard for us because the English, English language says insults. Like, oh, you just insults. So that's not, you know, people say insults all the time. But he ups the intensity of, the, of the, uh, the punishment that's carried out. Instead of saying judgment, he's saying, if you insult somebody, you're now going to the council. So this isn't just the 23 that passed judgment. This is the full Sanhedrin council. This is the equivalent of the council that they brought Jesus before. The NAS translates it the Supreme Court. The increase of the, the body that is governing it shows the increase of this intensity of what anger is doing in our heart. So this aspect of this word insult, some of your Bibles may not actually say that word and it has a transliterated word because in English, we don't have an English equivalent to what's there. And so some of your Bibles say, instead of saying insult, they'll say, if you say to your brother Raka, right? You see the exclamation point by it. Raka is an Aramaic word that we don't have an equivalent for in English, but basically what it describes is derogatory words, derogatory expressions, cutting words and criticism as the result of the way you feel. Cutting words and criticism as a result of the way you feel. Jesus is saying cutting words and criticism ups at a level. You're going to the full council. You're going to the Supreme Court for your judgment on this. But he's still not done, right? He's still not done. He has another word. And he says, and Jesus goes on in 522, the last part of it. He says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You see the progression of the punishment? It's just intense, intense, intense. It's reflecting the intensity, the grip, the depth of how anger gets into our heart and in our soul. He's now referring to a place of continual burning. You fool, when he says this phrase, you fool, again, English, it's like, oh, he just called somebody a fool. It's not, what is it? why is he getting so bent out of shape about that? That phrase, you fool, it, it, it takes it beyond just cutting criticism. It takes it beyond just the brooding unforgiveness. It takes it beyond that. It, it, it's when you come to a point where you basically just dismiss somebody's value in your life. You're like, you know what? I, I, I can just cut that person off. I, I am just not gonna talk to that person anymore. You know what? I, as far as to me, they're dead. When you, when you get to that point in your heart, I, I am not willing to reconcile. That's what it means. So Jesus is teaching He's saying, you need to take a hard look at the grip that anger has in you. The smoldering unforgiveness, the cutting criticism, 
and the dismissing of worth of other people. You're liable to be judged for all of that. You may not commit the act, but this is just as bad. So, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with a heart that we get up every day and have to fight back the flesh that wants to go there? Thanks be to the Lord that he gives us his Holy Spirit, that he gives us his word to guide us. This, going through this just reminds me of how much I need the Lord, not just every, like moment by moment sometimes to get through the day. Thank the Lord for his Holy Spirit. So the best practice, what does Jesus tell? The best practice of, of how to deal with anger is this. Quickly do what it takes to make things right with one another. We need to quickly do what it takes to make things right with one another. If you want the quick three-word takeaway version, fix it fast. You need to fix it fast, your relationships that are broken with other people. Don't let it linger. This is, this is what prevents that growing depth of anger. This is like your protection mechanism of, of it going there in your heart. He communicates this principle in two different ways. The fix it fast, this aspect of quickly do what it takes to make things right with one another in the following verses. He communicates the same principle two different ways. So the first time he communicates it, it's to those people that are probably generally at odds at each other. There's probably fault on both sides and he's communicating it. You need to quickly do what it takes to make it right with each other and he communicates it to them. The second audience is the person who knows they're guilty. Because sometimes in our lives, we offend somebody, we hurt somebody, we know we're guilty, but there's like pride in us that just is like, I'm, I'm not gonna confess, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna hold down on that. And so he speaks to that person the second. Same principle, two different contexts. Look at the first one in verses 23 through 24. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus says this. He says, so... If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is so serious about anger hanging around in our heart and simmering that he says, if you come and worship me, these are like images of like people going to the temple with their sacrifice to present to the Lord. So if you come to me and you recall that you are not right with your brother, you need to leave that there and you need to go. You need to leave, you need to go and you need to make it right with your brother or with your sister and then come back and worship. And as I was thinking about it, you know, if we're all in this room and we have kind of relationships that aren't right with different people here and there and they're just lingering and it's causing this barrier between the Lord, like how heartfelt and expressive and driven is our worship? And so it's almost like to the extent that we leave these broken relationships and to the extent at which anger is in our heart, we're really robbing the Lord of worship that's due to him. We need to go and make it right. Next, he speaks to the one who knows they're guilty. 
How do we know that? How do we know that he's transitioned to this person, these people that he's commenting to in general, and now he's talking to somebody in guilty? He shifts in his words from using brother in the first verses to a new word, accuser. This accuser is somebody who's an opponent in a court of law that has evidence to convict. It's an accuser, an opponent in a court of law that has evidence to convict. Matthew 5, 25 through 26, this is where you see it. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What he's saying here, he's saying, if you've done something and there's evidence on you, it's amazing because that word accuser, having that evidence, isn't that what the scripture calls Satan, our accuser? Satan has all kinds of evidence on our sin. The evidence is there. So if, if you know that you are not right with somebody and you know it's your fault, Jesus is saying it's best that you make it right with them quickly, right away, while you're going with them. It's describing this process during that time that your accuser would actually come and get you and you would travel together to the judge. He's saying, before you get to the judge, before you get to the righteous judge, you need to make it, you need to make it right. Because the consequences are gonna be a lot more difficult to bear if you know that you're guilty and you don't do anything about it. But again, why do we hold on to situations like that? It's our pride. Sometimes the hardest part about making things right with another person is the pride within us that resists to confessing the wrong that we've committed. We need to ask the Lord to search our heart for that kind of pride. In either case though, as you look at these examples, Jesus makes it clear, quickly do what it takes to make things right with one another. Quickly, fix it fast. Last, what are some principles that we can apply to live this out? This is where I'm bringing in a couple scripture verses from other parts of God's word that help us out. So I'm gonna share two verses with you on this topic. And from those two verses, we're gonna see three principles that will help us live this out in our lives with one another. The first scripture that I wanna share with you is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews 12, chapter 15 says this, see to it that no one falls, excuse me, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may become, and, and by it many become defiled. The first principle is this, bitterness grows deep into the heart. If you don't deal with it, it will spread to many others. Bitterness grows deep into the heart. If you don't deal with it, it will spread to many others. That word defile, it means to contaminate. And I love how this goes together with how the anger is described. Anger is described as a root of bitterness. You know what I think of when I put those two together? I think of dandelions. Because if you're here and you try to get a nice green yard, Dandelions are like one of your worst enemies. Just like anger is the enemy to our soul, like dandelions are enemies to your yard. And dandelions, when, you, when a dandelion sprouts up, 
you have to be worried because there is a lot going on underneath, growing deep before that thing sprouts up. And when that thing sprouts up, you're on the clock. You got to get rid of that thing because before you know it, if you let it go, your whole yard is done. It's going to be covered. But that's what anger's like. If you don't take care of it, it's like that root that grows deep. And all those words that Jesus described, all those words that describe uh, anger, we'll see in this next verse, they're there again. It's like the roots just growing deep into your soul. You've, you've got to get it out. You can't let it linger. Because as, as the scripture says, it causes trouble and many become defiled. It's not just you. It affects many, many around you. It divides the body. It, it causes God's people to be taken away from their purpose. That word trouble, when you, when you read some of the descriptions of it, it means like a swarm, like, like a swarm. Like you've ever like been outside and you like walk through like a swarm of bugs or you know those cartoons, you get chased by a swarm of bees. It's like you're no longer focused on the things of the Lord. You're, you're dealing with that. It takes away from the work of the Lord. You can see why the enemy wants to get into it. So bitterness grows deep into the heart. If you don't deal with it, it will spread to many others. So next, we see this, this next verse, Ephesians chapter 4, 31 to 32. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All those words just fall right into Jesus's description that he talked about. It's like the, the tentacles on the root that are growing deep. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we need to be able to identify bitterness. Just like you can go in your yard and identify the dandelion, you need to identify bitterness in your heart. And I was reading up on this and one of the ways to identify bitterness is what I call the rewind and replay in your mind. We all do it. So what we do, if there's somebody that we're frustrated with, somebody who we've, who's hurt us, what we do is we sit down in our mind and we get out the remote control. And what we do is we rewind to that situation with them. And then we hit play right? And then we, we watch it in our mind. We watch it again and again and again. But we don't just watch it. What we do is we get, the, we get the remote again as we're watching it and we hit pause. And we hit pause at different points and we insert ourselves back into it. We start saying things. I would have said this. I'm going to do that. You know, and that, that's what we do. And we rewind and replay and enter in. Rewind and replay and enter in. If you're in that cycle in your mind, you're dealing with bitterness. It needs to be removed. And this verse in Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, this is the roundup. This is what you spray on it. This is what gets rid of it. I'll read it again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The second principle to ask ourselves Second principle is a question to ask ourselves, and it's this. Can I overlook the hurt or offense? Can I overlook it? Can I put it away? Can I overlook it? Was, it? was the person just having a bad day? Was I having a bad day? Am I taking offense too easy? 
Do the actions line up with what I know the heart of that individual to be? Were there other factors or circumstances or stress involved? Can you overlook the offense? Can you overlook the offense? Can you put it away? That's principle number two. And then the last principle, if you can't, if you still feel that burden of the Holy Spirit that you can't, that you can't overlook it, then what do we need to do? We need to follow the example of our Savior. What does the verse say? We need to forgive as Jesus forgave us. Forgive as Jesus forgave us. And that's not easy. It's difficult. It can be painful. And Jesus gives us more counsel on how to do this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus says, if you get to that point where you can't overlook it, you don't go tell your friends, you don't go asking all these other people about it. What does Jesus say in Matthew 18, 15? But if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Again, it's gonna take time. It's not gonna be easy. But we have to try to the best of our ability to seek that reconciliation. And another important aspect of forgiving as the, Lord has forgives, as the Lord has forgiven us, is that when you forgive somebody, do not go back and pick it up again. Don't revisit it. In your mind, you'll be tempted to do it. You'll hear about a situation that reminds you of it, or maybe that person will do something again, and you'll be tempted to go back and pick it up and hold on to it. But remember, Christ didn't do that for us. He went to the cross in order to forgive us. Reconciling with somebody isn't easy. It's gonna be painful, but remember what Jesus did to reconcile us with the Lord. Remember that Jesus does not revisit your sin. One last scripture and I'll pray. Psalm 103 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We need to forgive like Jesus forgives us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and your scripture, it illuminates our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your truth. But Father, it's sometimes it's hard to bear. Sometimes it's hard to live out. So Lord, for all of us here today, Lord, I pray that your word would lead us to a place of dealing with anger in a better way in our lives. Jesus, we can't do it without you. Holy Spirit, intercept our thoughts. Holy Spirit, bring us to a place of knowing how to be reconciled with brothers and sisters that have hurt us. And Lord, brothers and sisters that we have hurt. Jesus, we can't do this without you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us in power to do this. And Lord, for those here today that don't 
know you in the way that your word describes. Who are trying to have a relationship with you through outward expressions, but don't, have never embraced the full righteousness of you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that, Lord Jesus, you would reveal yourself to them in a way and lead them to the point of surrendering to you and experiencing the kingdom of God for the first time and have the hope, the confidence of being with you forever. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Be with us now as we sing. Amen.